0: Listen to more episodes of this podcast earlier than everybody else and add free when you sign up for Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service that's audience-supported, featuring more than 130 top-tier educational creators focusing on making content for you and not for an algorithm. Sign up for Nebula by clicking on the link in the description or go to nebula.tv conversationswithjoe to support the podcast and get more eye-opening content. This video is supported by Brilliant. So my video last Thursday, um, I was a little mean to Blue Origin, and some of you didn't like that. Uh, some of you liked it a little too much, but hey, you know what? Despite my criticisms, like I said, they might surprise all of us and become a major player in the super heavy lift category because their stated goal is to put heavy industry in space. And in order to do that, they're going to have to have a massive and cheap rocket because that's a lot of stuff to put into orbit. But let's just say they pull it off and they make this thing possible what would that look like? Is it a good idea? And if so, how close are we to making that happen? All right, so to start with, nobody thinks that this is something that's going to happen anytime soon. Even Jeff Bezos has said that it's going to take, quote, decades and decades to move polluting heavy industry up into space. Other experts who are not employed by Jeff Bezos say that it could take centuries. So look, the high cost of launching a lot of mass up into space is a major problem, and that's something that Blue Origin and SpaceX are both working on. But it's not the only problem. It's also the cost of what we're launching. So for real large-scale construction to take place in space, that's going to have to be done by robots. And robots are not cheap. Especially autonomous robots. And maybe a good example of a semi-autonomous robot that we put into space is the Perseverance rover. R&D and production costs on Perseverance totaled about $2.2 billion, while launch costs were a comparatively modest $243 million. Obviously, large-scale construction in space would be done by a whole fleet of robots, which would be cheaper at scale, but you get the idea. And then you have the problem of the raw materials that you have to get up off of Earth to the factories before you turn them into something and then get it back to Earth. Like, that's the bugaboo, isn't it? You know, making stuff in space probably has some advantages because of the zero gravity, which I'll get to here in a minute, but it's the getting there and getting back. That's the problem. And that's why some say that the most likely scenario for space construction is gonna involve raw materials from places like the moon, Mars, and asteroids and whatnot. So now we're getting back to solar system mining again. So can we do that? Well, I've talked about this in a previous video, but suffice to say, it is insanely expensive right now. Like, let's just go back to the Perseverance rover for just a second, because, you know, who doesn't love them some Percy? But part of Perseverance's mission is to collect soil samples and leave them behind for an ESA mission that's going to come along later and pick up those samples and return them to Earth. That mission itself is going to cost about $4.3 billion. Perseverance will fill a series of sample tubes. It's done one so far, but in the end it's expected to be between 300 and 645 grams of Martian soil. Between the Perseverance mission and the Sample Return mission, the whole shebang could cost around $7 billion, which would come out to about $14 billion per kilogram for Martian dirt. Now granted, this is not meant for resource extraction, this is meant to study for signs of Martian life in the past, but that is the going rate. And it hasn't even happened yet. Some Sample Return missions that did happen include JAXA's Hayabusa mission in 2005, which returned just a few particles of dust from the asteroid Itokawa for around $100 million. That would be around $100 billion per kilogram. Hayabusa 2 returned 5.4 grams from Ryugu in 2019 for about $33.3 billion per kilogram. About a year ago, OSIRIS-REx collected some samples from Bennu that'll be returned to Earth in 2023. They don't know exactly how much it retrieved, but they're estimating between 60 and 2,000 grams, so in the best-case scenario, that would put the cost at $491.7 million per kilogram. Also last year, China's Chang'e lunar lander returned 1,731 grams from the moon at a price of around $104 million per kilogram. So the price is going down which is a good thing but just for comparison's sake uh, the cost of launching one kilogram up into orbit on a falcon 9 is about two thousand seven hundred and twenty dollars so in order to build in space what we need are robots that don't exist being launched on inexpensive rockets that don't quite exist using resources that we don't have access yet so i think it's easy to understand why skeptics think that decades and decades is optimistic now there's also the effect that space-based industry would have on earth's economy Like, I've talked before about 16 Psyche that's so packed with precious metals that it could be worth up to ten thousand trillion dollars The global gross domestic product in 2020 was $84,000,000,000,000, so anybody who can bring home a sizable chunk of 16 Psyche could probably buy the whole planet. Don't get any ideas, dude. Now, one thing that might make a big difference is the ability to make fuel out of the resources on the moon and asteroids through what's called in-situ resource utilization. Uh, You know, I talked recently about how rich the moon is in water and oxygen. Well, it turns out asteroids are, too. Yeah, it's estimated that near-Earth asteroids could have up to 100 billion gallons of water that could be used as fuel. So there's still a ways to go. We still need to see some advancements in the whole in-situ resource utilization thing. The price of launching into space needs to go down. But once we get that infrastructure in place, assuming we can do so, what exactly would we build in these factories in space? So this is actually where things get really interesting because we have seen a lot of advancements recently in 3D printing and microgravity. On November 25th, 2014, a 3D printer made by the company Made in Space became the first 3D printer to make a useful object outside of Earth's atmosphere. I say useful because astronauts on the ISS did some calibration tests beforehand. That, that doesn't count. But no, the first useful object was a faceplate for the printhead extruder on the printer. And NASA was so happy with this result that they commissioned Made in Space to put a permanent 3D printer on the ISS. Since then, made-in-space printers have made tools and spare parts, including a functioning socket wrench. So yeah, it looks like 3D printing in microgravity works just as well as printing down here on Earth. And in fact, it might be a way to recycle waste plastic on the ISS. Yeah, a company called Tethers Unlimited demonstrated that waste plastic can be turned into new 3D printed objects. I mean, they recycle their pee, why not recycle their red Solo cups, right? Did they use those in the ISS? So Made in Space was actually acquired in 2020 by a company called RedWire, and since then they've had some pretty major 3D printing firsts. In late 2020, their ceramic manufacturing model printed a small turbine disc out of ceramic. And more recently, they sent a tech demo to the ISS that should be able to turn lunar regolith into feedstock for 3D printing. And if that doesn't make your nipples hard, I don't know what will. Because if the RedWire regolith print project works, they'll be able to 3D print everything from, from tools and objects to habitats directly from lunar regolith. This is a big deal, and it's a major component of the Artemis program, so if Ridewire is successful, this could be a game-changer. Or the start of one, anyway. Now, in 2022, NASA hopes to launch another made-in-space technology up to space, not necessarily to the ISS, but to its own orbit. This is called the On-Orbit Servicing Assembly and Manufacturing 2, or OSAM-2. OSAM. Oh, Two. If all goes well, OSAM will be able to build structural support beams from raw materials, and it features a manufacturing component called Arconaut that's designed to be fully customizable. Eventually, Made in Space hopes Arconaut will be able to build new solar array panels and other structures on orbiting satellites. The idea being that someday you could launch the core of a satellite along with some raw material, and Arconaut could just build itself in orbit. This means you can launch using smaller satellites and possibly save millions of dollars on launch costs. Like when I was saying earlier that we would need semi-autonomous robots to build things in space, like... This is a major step in that direction. So, we're getting closer, and, and that's great, but this might be a good time to kind of circle around and, and ask the original question why do this? Like, what's the advantage to building things in space? Well, it turns out, depending on the industry, there's many advantages. Well, one is right there in the name, just space. Nobody has to cut down any trees or rehome any wild animals to build a space factory. And the energy industry seems especially poised to take advantage of doing something like this. Like, the sun flings out plenty of power. We could power the world a million times over with the amount of energy coming out of the sun, but it requires a lot of of surface area to collect all of that. And it's also easier to gather solar energy in space without all that pesky atmosphere in the way. Yeah, collecting solar energy from space has been a dream of scientists going all the way back to 1941 when Isaac Asimov first put something in a story about that. Launch costs have been one of the big things keeping that from becoming a reality. Obviously, that's getting better. But recently, researchers from Caltech were awarded $100 million to investigate building light photovoltaic cells that could be assembled modularly in space. Combine that technology with in-situ resource utilization and on-orbit manufacturing, and we could soon have giant solar collectors collecting solar energy and beaming it down through microwaves onto the ground. After mining and energy, construction could see a major space boom. The space race billionaires, governments, and armies of space geeks around the world are hopeful to see some kind of lunar base assembled in the next 20 years. And as it happens, a number of private contractors are already working with NASA on the Artemis missions. They're scheduled to supply components to the Gateway Lunar Orbiter and the Human Landing System, as well as delivering supplies to the moon. And NASA's not the only game in town. ESA has been looking to design a moon village since 2006. They partner with the architectural firm Skidmore Ownings and Merrill, who designed the current tallest building in the world, Burj Khalifa. Anissa and the architects are looking at Shackleton Crater, the same location expected to host the Artemis base Camp. Part of that crater, which is down at the pole, receives sunlight year-round, so it's a good place for energy generation, and also it's expected in some of the areas of the crater where the sun never lands, there's a lot of water down there that could be used. So yeah, if we see a moon base in the next 10 to 20 years, that's probably where it's going to be. So let's talk about the medical industry for a second. So the medical industry isn't exactly one of the biggest polluters. That's not really a reason to move it into space, but there are some advantages when it comes to 3D printing organs in space. Like, the dream here is that if you had a failing pancreas or a failing liver that doctors could take some of your cells, reprogram them, turn them into stem cells, turn them into liver cells, build liver tissue, and then grow a liver, an organ that they can just transplant in there, and it doesn't require any, you know, medicines to prevent from uh, your body rejecting it because it's somebody else's liver. It's your liver, and it would work perfectly. That's the dream. And for a while now, doctors have had the ability to turn regular cells into, say, liver cells, and then turn liver cells into liver tissue. The problem is that when you go bigger than that, gravity kind of just squishes everything down and turns it into a giant puddle of goo. These organs wind up looking like a blobfish out of water. We're made out of blobfish, basically. And now there are some ways to mitigate the problem, like building a little scaffolding out of stem cells and whatnot, but as long as all of that tissue is being pulled down at 9.8 meters per second, we're limited in what we can do. So until we can create an anti-gravity machine, the best option is to 3D print in the microgravity of space. To this end, the ISS has been carrying on organ printing experiments since 2019 using their biofabrication facility, or BFF. Astronauts have used BFF to print a meniscus, the shock absorbing cartilage in the knee. They've also printed cardiac tissue and they've developed what they call organs on a chip, which help pharmaceutical companies test candidate drugs. Now one more thing that's worth mentioning is fiber optic cable. Now this one is also from Made in Space. They developed a type of fiber optic cable they call ZBLAN, which is made from a fluoride glass that could actually travel and have less than one tenth the signal loss of traditional fiber optic cable. The problem is, again, gravity. The process requires this glass to be molten and then stretched into fibers that are as thin as fishing wire. And then it's cooled. And the problem is, when gravity is involved, that cooling process can create little crystals inside that weaken the signal. But microgravity prevents those crystals from forming, meaning that this fiber optic cable that's made in space could carry ten times the amount of signal for far longer distances. Which I think we can all agree would be something of a game changer. So even if we don't get to the point where factories in space are making our cars up in orbit, space manufacturing has the potential to completely change the world in pretty profound ways, ways that we're just now dipping our toes into. We don't even know where this could go. You know, history is full of turning points, points where an old order a way of thinking is upended and changed forever. You know, the Industrial Revolution was one of those points. In 200 years, the world went from being mostly agrarian to being based on an industry and manufacturing and international trade. It was a whole new world. And I think that's what we're starting to see now, at least the, the basis of it, the beginnings of it, a whole new space economy. And the revolution's so far along that some people are worried that it might go too far. In a 2019 paper, Cambridge astrophysicist Martin Elvis and Keynes College philosopher Tony Milligan warned that it's possible to exhaust the solar system's resources. Exponential growth of the space economy could result in overexploitation of the wilderness that we'll be increasingly occupying. Elvis and Milligan recommend declaring seven eighths of the solar system off limits to industry. I mean, come on, where in our history could they possibly point out as an example of us overexploiting our resources? I mean, except for, you know, all of it. And to those who argue that it's too early to make a fuss, they point out that it will never be easier to set these kinds of standards than right now. So what do you think? Should we start setting some limits now before all heavy industry moves up into space, or is the entire idea just a total pipe dream? Discuss. So with all the launches that are going to be taking place to move industry up into space and do its thing, you might want to know a little bit about how all that works. So... You know what? A good place to start is the classical mechanics course. I'm brilliant. Understand the rocket equation for the first time and get an appreciation for how difficult it is to get off the ground with the classical mechanics course And once you're out of the atmosphere, figure out how to not come back down by learning more about how gravity works By the way, if you haven't checked out Brilliant lately, they've gotten a lot more interactive So if you're anything like me and you really kind of have to be hands-on with things to really understand it Brilliant's got you covered. This just makes it easier to understand all the core concepts in the fundamentals courses Which gets you set up for success in the more advanced courses later on. Next thing you know You've got supervillain knowledge and that's when the real fun begins. Plus they make it easier to make learning a habit, so you can do it on your mobile device and even offline, so whenever you're waiting for food or something, you can bang out a problem or two. And if you want to get a taste of what I'm talking about, they do let you do the first section of any of their courses for free, so you can see what they're all about. But if you do sign up for the premium subscription that gives you access to all their courses, and you're one of the first 200 people to do so, you can get 20% off of your subscription when you go to brilliant.org answerswithjoe. It's just a great way to learn things, and it's, it's, it's fun. If you, if you like to learn stuff and be all hands-on, Brilliant's just a, a cool way to do that. So if you haven't had a chance to check it out, like I said, they've added a lot of cool stuff. It's worth looking at. So brilliant.org answerswithjoe. Link's down in the description. All right, big thanks to Brilliant for supporting this video and a huge shout out to the Answer Files on Patreon. They're forming an awesome community, being really just cool people. And uh there's some new guys that I need to shout out real quick. We got Physic Spathe, I think I'm saying that right. Uh Nadine Pixelated Pope, Pete Stopani, Ernst Cheyenne Buckman, Kathleen Corey and Marilyn Hodge. Thank you guys so much. If you'd like to join them, get early access to videos, exclusive live streams and just be part of a really cool community. Uh, Just go to patreon.com slash answerswithjoe. Please do like and share this video if you liked it. And if this is your first time here, bam, check out that one because Google thinks you'll like it. And and maybe even go bam down to the side thing and look at the pictures of my face on them. And if you like them and you want to see more, I invite you to subscribe. I come back with videos every Monday. Bam! All right, that's it for now. You guys go out there, have an eye-opening rest of the week. Stay safe and I will see you next Monday. Love you guys. Take care.